Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Through this process, the salvation of Jesus, baptism, washing away of sins and all that stuff, that delivers to you and to myself a a clear conscience before God. Does this mean that you don't make mistakes or that you don't sin? That's not what it's talking about. But in a good conscience, I know like, man, every boneheaded thing that I do, every sinful act that I commit has been covered by the blood of Jesus. Do you ever struggle with the weight of your past mistakes and failures? Do you feel weighed down by the burden of guilt, shame, and regret? In today's message, Pastor James talks about how salvation has washed us clean of our past mistakes. When we put our faith in Jesus, we're forgiven of our sins and we're made new. Through salvation, we can stand before God with confidence, knowing that we've been made righteous through Jesus. We don't have to earn our way into God's favor. Now here's Pastor James in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. He died so that you could have constant communion with the Father. Let that be your motivation. Let that be your motivation. Not some little check mark box next to your daily Bible reading and you're like feeling guilty because there's so many blank boxes, right? Like, don't let that be your motivation. Guilt should never be your motivation. The beautiful sacrifice of Jesus on the cross should be all we need. Why would I not spend time with God the Father? Why would I not want to spend time praying to him, opening up his word and, Lord, I just, I need you to speak to me. I need you to speak to me. So I'm going to get into your word. And I don't care about reading through the Bible in one year. If it means that I'm still pressing into your word every single day, I don't care how long it takes me because I want to hear from you. I just want to hear from you because the greatest price was paid so that I could have direct access to the Father. It's a beautiful thing. But I think he goes, you know, Jesus goes down into this prison and he proclaims this to to these spirits that are down there. Verse 20 gives a little bit more elaboration concerning who these spirits were. It says, through the, I'm sorry, that was verse 19, verse 20, long ago, okay, keeping in context, they disobeyed while God kept waiting patiently in the days of Noah as the ark was being built. In that ark, a few, that is eight souls, were brought safely through water. Okay, so here's the scene. He, he goes back into, as he's talking about this, he goes back into early into Genesis with Noah. Noah's constructing this ark, and he looks like a, he just looks like a crazy man. Like, why are you building such a big box? Like, that's what it was. It's like a big, just box in their minds. They're like, what, why are you building that thing, and why is it so gigantic? No, you're, you're, not a, you're not a fisherman. And at, this, at that point in time, they, we don't even know if people were out even on the water. And they thought, like, this is nuts. He's like, it's going to rain. They're like, what's rain? Because right now we have this atmospheric thing where there's not really need of rain. What are you talking about? God told me, build this ark. 
this tool, this vessel of salvation, construct this thing. For who? For everybody. For everybody. And animals. Because he's going to send a flood. Like Noah was a preacher of righteousness in his day. And they, they thought he was nuts. The only people who got on the boat were his, were his family. And it wasn't like he lived in like isolation and so nobody would hear this message or, or got the memo and so they missed out on the boat. No, word got around, okay? You need to understand, in the day in which Noah lived, it wasn't like how our world is today. Or, you know, well, there's people in North America and South America. It wasn't like that yet. Okay, so they're, they're still kind of close together. Word would have gotten around. So Noah is faithfully serving God. He's a preacher of righteousness. He's proclaiming to these people who are living absolutely wickedly. You need to stop. You should stop. God said he's sending judgment. And in that whole time, you have these, these spirits who were out causing chaos as well. He, but God waited patiently. He waited patiently. He's long-suffering. He wishes that none would perish, that none would perish apart from him. Says so those eight souls, that's Noah's family. What I always appreciate about the story of Noah and that ark is there was so much room on that boat for all kinds of people. There was more than enough room on that boat for people. And yeah, you had the animals, two by two and all that fun stuff, and Noah turned into, you know, carpenter, then to zookeeper, then to winemaker, and that didn't end well for him, but whatever. Like, he, when he made that boat, though, like, he constructed rooms for his family. I don't know if you've ever seen that within that story, but when he was building the boat, he built rooms for his family, because he knew by faith, even if nobody else says yes, I know me and my family are going in. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord kind of a deal. Through faith, Noah built that. He built it for humanity, but specifically, he built it for his family because he knew, you all can say no, but me and my family are going in. We're going in. So I always love that about his story. Verse 21, corresponding to that. So you got the flood that happens. It washes away the wickedness and all that good stuff. It's destruction. It's craziness and all that. And then, you know, days, many days later, the flood dissipates and all that good stuff. And you have... Well, new life in one sense. But that, that story of the ark, what we see here is it's going to be used as like a, a type for salvation, all right? Your New King James is going to talk about anti-type. There is also an anti-type which now saves us, baptism, okay? Anti-type is really, it's, it's something that is foreshadowed by a type or a symbol. That's what anti-type means. It's not like it's anti, like against, like, ooh, bad, right? No, it's like, it's a foreshadowing I have a truth that had already been proclaimed. So you got New Testament events that were prefigured in the Old Testament. That's really what that word is talking about. And Noah's, Noah in the ark is, is really just a type for us that we're going to see of like concerning baptism, washing away of sins, salvation. Yeah, salvation. Does baptism save you? No. Baptism, being baptized doesn't get you into heaven. Only Jesus gets you into heaven. But if you're a Christian and you haven't been baptized, you better get, you, you should get baptized. I'll pull back on that a little bit. No, I'm not. You better get baptized. Get baptized. What are you waiting on? Publicly proclaim an inward reality. If Christ has saved you and you have received that free gift of salvation, he is your Lord and Savior, 
you go out, out, and be baptized. We talked about this a little bit. It may have been last week. I'm not sure. Yeah, it was last week. We don't have a baptismal here. Number one, our stage is too small. We barely have enough room for us people up here. There's no way we can have like a horse tank or anything up here, right, to dunk you in. But we don't want to do it in this building. It should be done out there. I, I think it's, and, and I get it, the convenience of it within churches. I'm not going to bag on churches that do baptisms in their service. It's a beautiful thing. But at what point in time in history did we take it from outside to inside? And I think we're robbing the world of a witness to see Christ's followers publicly proclaiming that they are following Jesus. That should be outside. That should be in the presence of strangers. That should be in the presence of of lost people to see Christians boldly proclaiming, I'm a Christ follower. Do it outside. The world's not coming in here. Oh, the church is doing baptism service. Let's go check it out. You know, like that doesn't, that never happens. But go out on the beach, and which we do during the summer times. You want to get baptized in the wintertime? That's fine. I will be wearing a wetsuit and booties, maybe even gloves. I hate cold water. That's fine. We'll baptize you anytime. But it will be outside. It'll be outside. Because you need to display that publicly. You need to display it publicly. The, the story of Noah, it's like a foreshadowing of this, you know, this truth. It says, verse 21, corresponding to that, immersion, or baptism, as yours may say, now brings you to safety. And I like that. Yours may say salvation. It saves you. I really like this translation where it says it brings you to safety. Because Noah and his family were brought to safety. They were saved through that experience, but it wasn't the water that saved them. It was the ark that saved them. The ark would represent Jesus. The water is this cleansing thing that happens, and sin and stuff being washed away. They were in the ark, and that's the thing that saved them, but the ark brought them to safety. Your baptism experience is you proclaiming, the old me stays down being washed clean, so to speak. The new me is being raised to new life in Jesus Christ because he has saved me and he is bringing me to safety in him. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but a pledge to God of a good conscience through the resurrection of Messiah, Yeshua, which is his name, Jesus, Yeshua, don't worry if you get to heaven, you're like, Jesus. And he's like, I'm sorry. And you're like, oh no, that passage of Matthew is about me, right? You never knew me. He's like, no, 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 just kidding. My name really was Yeshua. And somewhere along the line, you guys changed it to Jesus. That's cool. No big deal, right? Um, if you know Bible translations and all that stuff, you get it. His name's Yeshua. You can call him Jesus because that still works. It's fine. But he's the Messiah, and, and this baptism experience should bring about like this good conscience that you have, like no longer condemned. There's, no, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are what? Who are in Christ Jesus, Christ Yeshua. I'm just kidding, Christ Jesus, it's fine. Um, I'm just going to keep doing that. You'll hate it or you'll love it, I don't know. Anyways, but through this process, the salvation of Jesus, baptism, washing away of sins and all that stuff, that delivers to you and to myself a a clear conscience before God. 
Does this mean that you don't make mistakes or that you don't sin? That's not what it's talking about. But in a good conscience, I know like, man, every boneheaded thing that I do, every sinful act that I commit has been covered by the blood of Jesus. I will own every single one of those because that's what a relationship is. I will own every single one of those and I will repent of every single one of those. And I will try to do my best in walking in repentance for every single one of those. But I do that with a clear conscience. My sins are covered. It's not because of guilt. It's a remembering of this this beautiful freedom that he had bought for me through his death on the cross. So you should have a healthy, clear conscience in following Christ Jesus. Verse 22, last one. He has gone into heaven. He has ascended into heaven. And and note like this, this little cool grammatical structure that he has here where it's like he died on the cross and then you can follow this track where it's like he died on the cross and then he descended only so that he could ascend right? So he didn't stay in the grave. He wasn't left to rot in the grave, as the Psalms would say. No, but he would ascend, not just like to heaven, but to be at the right hand of the Father, thus validating every single thing he said. Every single thing he said. And who he said he was. Did, God, did Jesus ever claim to be God? You better believe it. All you got to do is read your Bible. All you got to do is read through the New Testament, read through the Gospels, and you cannot deny the fact that he is proclaiming pretty clearly, I am the God. I am God. It's beautiful. He's gone into heaven, and it's at the right hand of the right hand of God, or the right hand of the Father. And here's the cool thing. With angels and authorities and powers subjected, submitting to him. See, First Peter's had this word that he's been, or you know, that Peter has been throwing out throughout this few chapters is that of submission. Submit to governing authorities. We don't like that. Do it. Submit to your employer. I don't like doing that. Do it. I don't. It doesn't matter. It didn't ask you if you like it or not. It says just do it. Wives submitting to your husbands. Oh, don't go there. I just did. Do it. Like submit. Like not in a bad, like you know, weird way or sinful way, but like in a Christ honoring way. Okay, the husband's the head of the household. That's how it is. Jesus set that up. Now, your husband better love you as Christ loved the church. Okay, so there's a deal there. It's not just like women have to do all this stuff. No, it's like the husbands have a tremendous responsibility to carry as well. And guys, you better be doing it. Okay, but he's using these terms, submit, submit, submit. Then you, you get to the end of this and he's like, oh, hey, by the way, All these angels, these principalities, and these powers have to submit to Jesus. They have to. They don't get a choice. They are made to be in subjection to Jesus. Why? Because he won. Because he defeated them. Through his perfect, sinless life here on this planet, through his brutal death on that cross, through his burial and resurrection, Jesus won. All angels and principalities and all that good stuff, they have to, they don't get a choice, they must submit to Jesus. They have no more claim over you. They have no more control over you. They don't. The smartest thing I could tell you is to not allow them, like I said a little bit earlier, don't give them any footholds. 
because he's broken you free of that. So in light of that, and with the understanding of like, man, he took all of my sins upon himself. He did that for me. He set me free. Then run from sin. Run from submitting yourself under their control anymore, because you don't have to. You're free. You've been set free. You've been rescued by him. I'm going to read to you from Ephesians chapter 6, just to close this dude out. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord, in his mighty power. You, as a Christ follower, you be strong in the Lord. Not in yourself, not in your willpower, not in your, your devotion, your dedication. No, you be strong in him, in Christ. Meaning, you are relying on his strength. As my fingers bleeding all over the place. That's cool. Let's do that. I don't know what happened there. Okay. Anyway, sorry. I just saw blood on my Bible, and I'm like, what's going on? Um, it's me. All right. Back to this. Now that you're distracted. Uh, here you go. Focus. Uh, put on the full armor of God so that you are able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Even though he is a defeated foe, he still has plans. He still has schemes. He's still out to get you. He still is, okay? He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against worldly forces of this darkness or principalities of wickedness in heavenly places. So that's where our battle is. Your battle is not with your neighbor. Your battle is not with your boss. Your battle is not with so-and-so, whoever it is, flesh and blood. Your battle is a spiritual battle. Good news. Jesus won. Jesus showed up to the baddest of the bad ones and said, game over. You're done. You're done. They're not yours anymore. You over them anymore. They've translated from your kingdom into my kingdom. They once belonged to you, but now they belong to me. They're mine. You can't touch them. You can't touch them. So we stand strong in Christ. We put on the full armor of God so that we could stand against these attacks. Because just because the proclamation was made doesn't mean that the battle is over. The war has been won, but the battles still rage on. You still have to stand firm. And just so, just so you're aware of what you should be praying through, I would recommend daily when you roll out of bed or push out of bed, or however you are ejected out of bed, whatever it takes for you, this is what you want to pray. You want to walk through this, you want to pray for each and every one of these things. It says, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist when the times are evil. And after you have done everything to stand firm, stand firm, then never stop. Keep on going. Keep standing firm is what he's saying. He says, buckle the belt of truth around your waist, the belt of truth. Buckle that thing around your waist. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Strap up your feet in readiness with the good news or the gospel of shalom or the gospel of peace. Above all, take up the shield of faith, which you are able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Because guess what? He's shooting arrows at you. Even though he's a defeated foe, he's still armed with ammunition. And let me remind you once again, do not provide him with the arrows. Okay? Do not provide him with the arrows. 
Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which technically is the rhema. It's the spoken word of God, which means you got to read this thing. You need to memorize this thing so that when those attacks come in your life, you can quote scripture, not from your head, but from your heart, because this is the only weapon you have in the battle. It's the word of God. You got a lot of stuff to keep you safe and protected. Amen to that. We need that. And he's given you one weapon, and it's his word. It's his word. So you need to get familiar with the one weapon that you have. Remember that? If some of you guys served in the military, if you were issued a gun, you got to know that weapon very well. We've seen that, you know, whether it's true or not, I don't know. But there's dude, you know, pictures or videos of dudes hanging upside down, blindfolded, disassembling their gun, and then reassembling their gun. They know it that well. That's how you should know the Bible. You should know it that well. If you find yourself in a situation where you don't have the Bible on you, and that's difficult nowadays because we have these little smartphones, but you should be able to bring to memory verses that you have memorized, okay? Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, pray in the Ruach, the Spirit, on every occasion with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, keep alert with perseverance and supplication for all of the Kedoshim. I don't even know what that, that one threw me off. For the holy ones. And pray for me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery, the mystery of the good news, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may speak boldly the way I should. Okay, so this is Paul proclaiming this to the church of Ephesus, but to believers, to you and I. And then you have Peter basically echoing the same sentiment. Look, you have victory in Jesus. You have victory in Jesus. Now, you and I need to be smart about this thing. You need to, you need to suit up every single day because the enemy is going to come after you. And that really is the battles that we're facing. And I understand that he can use individuals in your life to get at you, but your battle is not with them. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. So you need to be prepared for that. You need to be ready for that. And the only way to get ready is Ephesians chapter 6. You need to suit up with the full armor of God. You need to stand firm and confident in his power and his strength, which he has made available to you and to myself to make it every single day. And if you're going through times of suffering, you look to Jesus who suffered more than any one of us will ever suffer. But he was victorious. So if you can see the banner, Christ defeated, Christ defeated the enemy. The message is still true today, guys. The message is still true today. So I I pray that we all embrace that, that we realize that, and that we just, with that, that, that's our motivation. We keep pressing on. We keep pressing on. We never stop. We never stop because he never stopped for us. He went all the way through, victorious, seated at the right hand of the Father. And there will be a day where he does come back for us. And we we anticipate that day to be soon, soon. So let's let's stand courageously, firmly for him, for the gospel, for truth, and walk in this freedom that he has bought for you, that he's bought for you.
In the book of 1 Peter, you hear a lot about suffering. Our own suffering is something that we have to work through. And Peter reminds us that Jesus suffered too. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. A few verses later it says, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return when he suffered. He did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. What Peter's getting at in these verses is that as a Christian, you're going to suffer persecution. But Jesus wasn't exempt from suffering either. In fact, he was treated worse than anyone, although he was without sin. Imagine being completely guiltless, faultless, sinless. It just seems so wrong for Jesus to have been falsely accused the way he was. May you find strength and courage in the fact that Jesus suffered at the hands of brutal and mean-spirited men. He knows what you're going through right now, and you can turn to Jesus for comfort and help. You've been listening to Pastor James Grizzle here on Bread for the Broken. If you'd like to hear additional messages like this one, go to breadforthebroken.com. Thanks so much for listening to today's teaching here in the book of 1 Peter. We'll be back next time with more as the Apostle Peter speaks some encouraging words that our souls will want to hear. So come back again next time to Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.